If there is a God, what do you think he wants from you? You know, like probably to be nice and do the best we can and don't do those naughty sins and yeah, maybe love your country and go to church and read the Bible a lot, right? Actually, it's so much better than that. And the question shouldn't be, what does God want from you? The question should be, what does God want for you? So let's talk about it together. God and religion seem to go hand in hand, don't they? Like, if you believe in God and you want him to be happy, well, then you're going to have to be religious. But the truth is, God doesn't want us to follow a religion. He wants us to know his love. And Jesus said he was God himself who came to bring his kingdom to earth to give us a full and abundant life of joy, peace, confidence, and purpose. But when we think of religion, what comes to mind? Right? Like maybe rules or hypocrisy, or, or greed, or narcissistic leaders, or guilt, or like boredom, or all of that mixed together. I mean, that doesn't sound like a full, abundant life to me. So where's the disconnect? Why do so many of us have this idea that to have the life Jesus offers, we have to be religious? Well, part of it has to do with our desire to have control. We want the life Jesus offers on our own terms. We want what we think we want, and want to make sure we get it, so we need some leverage on God, right? We try to earn the life Jesus offers by making sure God knows we deserve it, so he's obligated to give us the life we want. See, religion is trying to give God what we think he wants from us, so he will give us what we think we want from him. And the result? All the things we said we dislike about religion. Guilt and fear because we can't measure up and so we're afraid that we're going to get some kind of punishment. Uh, hypocrisy. We pretend to be better than we are and try to fool ourselves and others and even God. Uh, pride and judgmentalism. Like we say, oh, you know, I'm actually following the rules. So look how good I am. God, and obviously God's taking care of me. So I guess I'm getting it right. And, you know, God's not taking care of you. So obviously you're doing it wrong. And legalism, right? Trying to follow every rule and then make other, make sure others are following all the rules just so God stays happy. We need something different. We need something entirely new. And that new was different 2,000 years ago. And it's shockingly different and new today. And we find it in the story of Jesus. Now, as we've been going through the story of Jesus in the book of Mark, at this point in the story, Jesus has been teaching and, and healing and people are flocking to him. In fact, he's become the most famous and popular person in the area. And the religious establishment is starting to worry. Like Jesus claimed to forgive sin, which is giving himself the same authority as God. So there's a lot of questions about who he is and what his agenda is and what, what he's actually trying to do. And in this very religious culture, Jesus wasn't the only option in town. And so some people have noticed there's a difference between him and the other options. Once, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? See, Jewish religious law really only had only prescribed one annual fast for the nation of Israel. It was called the Day of Atonement. But over the years, the community had added a few more regular fasts or times to fast to mark national days of mourning and repentance, remembering times when they had turned away from God. And often individuals would choose to fast for their own personal mourning and repentance. But the other religious groups in the area, including John the Baptist, said, well, if, if God told us to fast once a year, well, then maybe we should do it like twice a week because that'd really impress God which is something God had never said. But Jesus was different. 
He and his disciples didn't need to impress God with how religious they were. They, so they didn't fast at all. So some people come with an honest question. Like if these religious groups are so devoted to their religion, they take it so seriously that they fast regularly, what's your deal? Why aren't you as religious and, and pious and holy? Have you ever had someone question if you are you know, religious enough or holy enough? Isn't that fun? Like even if we're secure in who we are and why we're doing it, there's still that little sting that makes us question like, are we actually good enough? Are we okay? Well, if that's ever happened to you, you are in good company. Jesus was constantly accused of not being religious enough because Jesus came to bring something different. Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Like, isn't that fun? Jesus describes following him as a t like attending a wedding feast. And weddings are awesome because they represent this new beginning and there's joy and excitement of a new relationship and maybe a new family being created, which is exactly what Jesus was bringing. See, the new life Jesus offers is marked by joy and celebration. And the other religious groups were so like serious and focused on mourning and remorse that, you know, for them, fasting seemed normal. But Jesus wasn't bringing something focused on our past and our failures. He was bringing something that looked forward with hope to what God was about to do, to bring his kingdom into the hearts and lives of his new people. And the source of that joy in this picture of the wedding is the groom, Jesus. Who would, like, think about it. Who would go to a wedding reception and actually sit at the head table next to the groom and refuse to eat and refuse to celebrate? Like, I'm fasting right now. No. And Jesus says someday he will be taken away and his disciples will mourn and fast then. And the wording of taken away there is like this violent taking away, like ripped away, alluding to his death. And when he does die, that will be obviously a day of mourning for his disciples. But right now, at that moment, Jesus was bringing something new and the old ways of religion wouldn't work within it. And so then he gives two more examples, really trying to explain this idea of the old and the new not mixing. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Saying if you try to put the, like a new unshrunk patch on old clothes, you know it's going to pull away and tear even more. And Jesus is saying, I'm not trying to fix up an old religion. And he says, if you put new, still fermenting wine that releases gases and all that in old wineskins that have already stretched to their limit with the wine they had before, then they're going to burst and it'll ruin both the wine and the wineskins. And the new Jesus was bringing was powerful and explosive, and it couldn't fit within the old way of thinking about God. Old religion can't contain the new life Jesus gives. Following Jesus requires new thinking and new seeing and new living, new clothes, and new wineskins. And you know, we say, like, we read that, like, yeah, that's, you know, that's nice. I, I like that, Jesus. But then we turn around and try to combine the old religion with the Jesus way. We still try to reach God on our own terms and try to impress him with our doing our bests. And then we look down on those who aren't trying as hard as we think they should. And that's the worst part. Not only do we keep ourselves in a sad transactional relationship with God, we try to force others into it too. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? 
Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So on Sabbath, right, the seventh day, Saturday, the Jewish people still rested and, and didn't work. And the Sabbath was one of the main distinguishing marks that you belonged to the Jewish nation. And to keep it meant you were part of God's special, chosen, faithful people. Because not only was it one of the Ten Commandments that they, you know, God had given to Moses, but at its core it was a sign that they belonged to the Creator God who stopped working and rested on the seventh day of creation. But when it says don't work, work's a very vague word, isn't it? And we humans are not very comfortable with vagueness, especially when it comes to religion. We prefer lists so we can know if we're doing it right or not. And, you know, with a list of rules, we can naturally look for loopholes, too. And so the Jewish people had made a list. And they didn't want to leave anything to chance and accidentally break God's law for them. So over the years and through a lot of debate, they'd come up with 39 prohibited actions, 39 things that were work that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And in those 39, they explained how they fit into different situations and eventualities. And so it got pretty complicated. So when Jesus' disciples are walking through a field and they pick some grain, they're technically reaping a harvest and working. And so some Pharisees see it. And Pharisees, we use that as a bad word now, but these were men who were very pious and very devoted, and they devoted their lives to studying and, and teaching the Jewish scriptures. And they were a self-chosen group with no official authority to make and enforce laws, but they had a lot of influence because the people respected their expertise in Israel's laws and traditions. Unfortunately, some of these Pharisees had took, taken it upon themselves to root out anything that smelled like polluted religion. And Jesus was starting to smell kind of funny. And they needed to make sure he wasn't, you know, dangerous. Turns out, he was. Because Jesus had more important things to do than join the debates about what was and wasn't work. Jesus doesn't care about our made-up lists of rules. He cares about the needs of real people. So, he recalls a story of Israel's greatest king, David, needing food. And then he goes to the priest, and he takes the bread that's only for the priest, and he, gives it, and he eats it, and he gives it to his hungry men, technically breaking God's rules. And Jesus says, since David had the authority to decide what was and wasn't breaking the rules, so do I. And if you knew who I really was, you'd agree with me. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Saying Sabbath wasn't intended to be something to keep God happy. It was created to make sure people had a day of rest where they couldn't be forced to work by, you know, either their employers or their worries or their greed. They couldn't be forced to work every day of the week. And it reminded them that God took care of their needs and so they could rest in his provision and care. But it had become religiousified and weaponized and turned into a burden with extra rules and regulations. A rule that had become more important than the people the rule was created for. And Jesus says, look, guys, your debates have been cute, but that's over. I have the authority to say what is and isn't breaking God's rules. <laughs> Think about it. Who in their right mind would say that, right? Well, then Jesus proves he has that authority. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. You see what happens when we care more about making sure rules are followed than that people are loved? 
we become like these slimy, nerdy jackwagons who cared more about making sure their rules were upheld than if people were healed. And notice, Jesus' love for people was so well known, even his enemies tried to use it against him. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. See, their rules had said that they could work on Sabbath if it meant it would save a life. But this man's hand wasn't life-threatening, right? He could still, obviously, he could still live with it. So, obviously, the healing could wait until the next day. But again, Jesus doesn't care about their made-up rules. See, religion prioritizes rules over people. Jesus prioritizes people over everything else. And Jesus isn't going to let anyone forget it. So it's time to love some people and make some enemies by publicly forcing the issue. And it's interesting what happens when we really choose to love like Jesus. For some reason, it gets people uncomfortable. And so Jesus says, Sabbath is a time that God set aside for his people to do good for them. So why wouldn't he want someone healed on the Sabbath? And they won't answer. All they do is pout. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. With anger and sadness, he looks at them. He's like, why are you so stubborn? Why do you refuse to see who God really is? See, if our attempts to make God happy keep us from loving people, God isn't going to be happy. And so God, Jesus heals this man without even touching him, just says the word. And then at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Pharisees' reaction? Well, oh, you know, wow, he actually healed this guy. Like we can't, no, we've never seen anything like that. He must be right with what he says. He must have the authority. Like look what he can do. We need to rethink everything we thought we knew about God because obviously maybe we've made some mistakes and we've mistaken it and so we don't know as much as we think we do. Was that the reaction? Nope. They said, oh, this guy disagrees with us, so obviously he's bad. We got to destroy him. When we are fully convinced we are the only ones who know what God wants, even God can't convince us otherwise. And the Pharisees were usually, they usually saw the supporters of King Herod as traitors to their religion. But since they had had no power of their own to, you know, punish Jesus, they made an unnatural alliance in order to be able to silence Jesus. They were fully convinced that Jesus was leading people away from their true, pure religion. And so to honor God in their minds, they're going to kill the troublemaker who disagreed with their expertise. It's crazy what religion can do to us. And I have a feeling a lot of you listening and watching right now, for you, religion has caused a lot of pain. You've been told that maybe you weren't good enough or you didn't measure up and religion was used as a weapon to establish someone's authority over you or to make sure you knew they were better than you. Maybe that's why you've left the church. Maybe that's why you walked away. Maybe that's why you're not sure you still believe because someone put a, their view of scripture and religion above caring about you. Now look, listen. That is not the new Jesus brought. That's not the new Jesus taught. That's not the new Jesus died and rose again to make a reality. God is not mad at you. He relentlessly loves you. He is for you. Remember, if someone will die for you, they are for you. And Jesus offers you and all of us a new life of freedom, love, purpose, 
and joy. But we don't find it in the list of rules. We find it in him. If you remember in our Art of Following Jesus series, we talked about this different practices of following Jesus, of prayer and studying, uh, studying about Jesus, reading the scriptures and eating with people and meeting regularly as a church and all those different things and worship and generosity. You think those things are for God, like in order to impress him? No, they're for us to know him and enjoy him and to better experience the life he offers. Knowing and following Jesus is infinitely better than knowing and following a religion of rules. So keep your eyes on Jesus and just follow him and allow him to show you how much he loves you. Learn to trust that love. And then we can stop worrying about what others may have made this Christianity thing. And I know this can be scary for some of us who are used to and comfortable with religion the way it has been. Because religion gives us a list to follow. So we know if we are in or out. And lucky for us, you know, we're usually good at staying in. Or at least finding those loopholes that make us think we're still in, even if we aren't perfect. A life with Jesus without rules is scary because we don't have control. We have, we have nothing with which to manipulate God. And we have no loopholes. All we have is a God who completely knows us, yet loves us completely. And we get worried if there's, you know, whoa, just love, that's kind of loosey-goosey. We get worried because now we can't control others, right? And, and they can do whatever they want. Yep. They do get to do whatever they want because when you know Jesus' love, what you want to do is love like Jesus. It's like we don't actually believe the Holy Spirit can guide people like God promised. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So, whether you have been hurt by religion and religious people, or maybe you're realizing that you've been trying to earn God's favor with your piety and religiosity, here's what I want us to do this week. We're gonna, let's read two passages. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And then the second half of Galatians 5, 6. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Read those each day this week. Maybe focus on different words as you read it. What is God actually getting at there? What does it mean to follow this type of Jesus? And then pray, Jesus, thank you for accepting me. Thank you for loving me. Teach me to follow you and you only. And then as we go about our day, instead of asking, is this right or is this wrong? Forget those questions. Ask, what does Jesus's love look like right now? Listen, Jesus is the proof that the creator of the universe loves you and accepts you. There's nothing you have to do to earn it or prove to him that you're good enough. When we accept it, our lives are changed forever and we are free to enjoy who God really is. We're free to enjoy his love for us. We're free to enjoy who he made us to be. And we are free to invite our neighbors to discover, enjoy, and share the life Jesus offers together. The story of Jesus is the story of true love and freedom.
Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there'll be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. We also have uh, stuff for kids this summer, some great lessons put out by the Bible Project. So we're really excited about some of the things that are happening over at Cross Creek. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello, uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you. And we'll see you next week. Bye.